The passage of Scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. It's a familiar passage. It's, it's something that you have probably read several times uh, in your journey as a follower of Christ, or have heard it preached several times from the Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke. So its familiarity may cause us sometimes just to kind of skirt over the deeper truths that we could find in the text. I pray that uh, we, we look this morning for what is it that Jesus wants to say to us as we have heard these words before. <laughs> and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The three Gospels that tell, of, tell us of this event refer to the man as being rich. From Matthew's account, we also discover that he is young. And from Luke's account, we discover that he was a ruler or a person of prestige or power or authority. And all three reveal the earnestness behind the rich young ruler's question. What must I do to have eternal life? He falls at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine him breathing heavily as he has been running toward the master? And he poses this question that reveals an awareness of an incompleteness, something missing in life itself. The question could be asked, what was it that attracted this man to Jesus? Was it the Lord's reputation as a rabbi, a teacher of the law that would have led to the young man's pursuit? Had there been the occasion that he may have heard Jesus and recognized the depth of the truth that he was teaching? Or had, it, had he been following Jesus at a distance, just continually grabbing these bits and pieces of truth and discovering greater truths and a truth that might help, help him conquer this uncertainty of his eternal destiny? calling out to Jesus, good teacher, 
which Jesus dismisses this salutation, pointing out to the fact that true goodness is found only in God and that all goodness comes from him. This, we don't know, but this could possibly have been kind of a veiled um, recognition of that Jesus is God, that goodness is found in God, goodness found in Jesus because he is God, sent by God, came from God, is God. Probably didn't really register with the man, except it's interesting, the next time he addresses Jesus, he doesn't say, good, teacher. He just says, teacher. (laughs) As if at least he was paying attention to Jesus. Jesus knew the man's heart and the sincerity behind his question, as well as the man's understanding and reverence and acceptance for the law. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Hitting on at least five of the ten. And these these five that he referred to in, in speaking to the man had everything to do with a relationship with others of what it meant by the law in relating perfectly to those around us, those that uh, make up our life. There would have been a hint of satisfaction in the young man's response as he confidently said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I've kept since my youth. As if he were keeping a scorecard. The tender heart of our Lord toward the man then lovingly offers to him the hope of eternal life. Jesus' response, you lack one thing. I don't know about you, but I can imagine this guy feeling pretty good now. You know, he's, he's kind of a self-made man. He is certain of where he is in relationship to the world around him. He is complete in every way. Uh, He is wealthy. He is power. He's even religious. And there's only one thing, one thing more, standing in the way to be a recipient of the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom of God. And, And you can think, well, I've done it all up to this point. What is it? One thing. One thing only that you must do. This man who is so complete is waiting with bated breath, and Jesus speaks. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, I think typically when we read this passage of Scripture, we fall on that charge that Jesus gives the man concerning his wealth. Rid yourself of this stuff. But really, it all boils down to those last few words, those last three words where Jesus simply says, come, follow me. That's all Jesus is asking of this guy. Come, follow me. Care nothing for what you have acquired. Don't pay any attention to the wealth or power or prestige that you hold. Just simply trust in me. Come, follow me. 
We don't know if he was present during the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus addressed the problem this man has when he spoke to his disciples. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. Jesus is offering to this man, and particularly if you read through the rest of the passage, the stories that unfolds, and Jesus takes this teaching that he is sharing with his rich young ruler, on to speaking directly to his disciples about this whole thing of being saved, of being able to enter into the kingdom of God, of having eternal life. Jesus was promising the man treasures in heaven, entry into the kingdom of God, eternal life if he would simply rid himself of this false security, of these earthly treasures, of these false gods. It was an invitation. It was an invitation, not a command. That's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't force it on anybody. It's a, it's a beckoning to come to receive the treasures that he holds in store for us. One thing, one thing only stood in the way of this young man finding the very thing that he desired, eternal life. And his response. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The NIV translation reads, at this, the man's face fell. And in the original language, the words used to describe the man's countenance would be describing the sky becoming overcast in the anticipation of a storm. In other words, just imagine this man hearing these words as they begin to unfold, that it gets darker and darker and darker for him because his heart's in the wrong place. There was a progressive darkness coming upon him. And such a sad picture for us to imagine. Imagine his sadness when what was asked of him, he could not, he could not pursue. But more importantly, I think it is good for us also to imagine the sadness of Jesus. Jesus offering the man the very thing that he was asking for, recognizing that he came so close, yet he was so far away from receiving it. This passage of Scripture serves well to address the false hopes often placed upon our wealth and our riches and our possessions what we have acquired or amassed for our security. And it's, it's preached many times to, to land on this point of all the, all the hope that we put into what we possess or what we have. It can be used in the text to point to the evil of money. And it's often reinforced with other verses such as 
1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with pangs. It's also found in the very words of Jesus as recorded earlier in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus said, What good is it for man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Then Paul, writing again to that young pastor, saying, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as the foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, won't that preach? While we are saddened by the failure of this young man to surrender his false gods of possessions, positions, and power, we should be impressed by his honesty in that he acknowledged the one thing or things that stood between him and the life Jesus would give him. But he wouldn't give it up. He wouldn't give it up. Now, sometimes we, we fall into the trap of thinking that this whole thing of riches is not the cause of any halt of our pursuit of holiness, because we're, you know, we're not rich. <laughs> I believe we need to ask the question ourselves. If it's not riches, then what is it? What is the one thing that is preventing us or standing in the way of us following Jesus? What is the one thing, more than anything else, that presents an obstacle in this pursuit of holiness? Jesus always demands that those who come to him put away their gods whether they are to be possessions or positions or power or a person or passions. Put it away. Rid yourself of it. Don't let anything stand in the way of coming to me and following me, Jesus says. I had the opportunity when preparing for the ministry of being introduced to Abraham Joshua Heschel, a Jewish rabbi. And I learned a lesson from this Jewish rabbi. When he made this statement, God is of no importance unless he is of supreme importance. He said that and I felt he was almost <laughs> my brother in Christ. But it's a truth. It's a truth. It has to be all Christ, not just bits and pieces of him. Not just when we feel like it not just making room for him in our life. He is to have all of our life. I want to suggest, and this is awkward, uh, and I've wrestled with this all week long. Should I even go this way? But I'm, I'm going to dump it on you this morning. I want to suggest something that may be a bit foreign to a good number of us here today. 
February 14th is a special day. You know what day it is, February 14th, anybody? Valentine's Day. Uh, husbands, if you haven't given thought about that, you better start thinking now because it's soon approaching. Yeah, Valentine's Day. But there is something else that occurs on February 14th this year. For the Christian church, February 14th is Ash Wednesday, or the first day of the Lenten season. The season of Lent encompasses 40 days, mirroring the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, but also capturing in some ways the time that Moses and Elijah spent 40 days fasting. All this for the purpose of being able to commune with God, to hear from God, and to let God do what God wanted to do in their lives. With Ash Wednesday being the first day, the season coincides with Holy Week and ends up on Monday, Thursday, which is also to be recognized as the time that Jesus would have spent at the table with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. When the observance of Lent was embraced as a common practice by the Christian church in 325 AD, three elements were to define the season. It would be a time of giving alms, doing good deeds and acts of kindness to the less fortunate. It would be a time of prayer, self-examination, confession, and intercession. And it would be a time for fasting. And again, fasting is a discipline that may not be all that familiar to many of us here this morning. It is often associated with the thought of giving up a meal or meals in order to focus on a relationship with Christ. But fasting isn't always limited to just giving up a meal. It can be giving up what might be seen as superfluous, unneeded, not required, excess, useless, or unproductive. What I am suggesting is, as we approach Holy Week this year, as we, as we approach Easter, why not rid ourselves of the thing or things that stand in the way of our pursuit of holiness, of our following Christ? What is the thing or the things that distract you, causes you to wander and turn away from Jesus? What are the, the time wasters in your life? Those things that steal the gift of time that Jesus has given to you so that you can spend time with him. What is the priority in your life? that which you choose to spend most of your time with or your energy upon or your resources for? What is it that competes for your attention against giving it all to Jesus? Here comes the rub. And I'm telling you, 
this, this has been with me all week long. So I'm not, I'm not just dumping it on you. It's been working on me pretty well, too. If Jesus were to say to you right now, say to me, you lack one thing. One thing. One thing that hinders the sweet fellowship and communion that Jesus wants with you and with me. Think about it. Anything standing in the way of that close communion that we say we desire with Jesus? Anything competes for the time that we really ought to allot for Jesus in our lives? Is there anything in your life that's robbing you of the treasures in heaven? Is there anything that you're banking on more than what is to be found in what God himself wants to give us? Is there anything in your life that is keeping you, distracting you from from pursuing and following Christ? I've already begun for myself personally, thinking about what I'm going to do during the season of Lent. I've not been real good at giving up things. But I'm, I'm prayerfully considering, what, Lord, do you want me to surrender, let go of, in order that I can get closer and closer to you? What is the one thing standing in the way of my rich and life-changing communion that you would offer me if I would just simply respond to your invitation? Come, follow me. You may want to confess that one thing, that false God, that one sin that's depriving you of the riches Jesus has promised. You may want to do it this morning. I, it, I encourage you to do it this morning, because just think about it. The quicker you do it, the quicker you can get to the place where Christ wants you. As, as quick as you want to dismiss that thing that competes against Jesus, the quicker you get closer to him. And so if something comes to mind, confess it. You confess it while you're sitting right there. Or if, if it is so... If the initiative is there that you want to respond in a more uh, uh, manifestive way, this altar is open. And as we're singing the closing hymn, come, just confess, confess it before the Lord and let him do his work on you to free you from that thing that stands in the way and prevents you from being close to Jesus, as close as he wants you to be. The invitation Jesus gave to the rich young man is the standing invitation to to you and to me and to everyone. And that is to come, follow me, and you will have treasures in heaven. And folks, it doesn't get any better than that. That's everything that is in the possession of God to be given to you and to me 
as he would pursue him through Jesus Christ. Amen.